morning, our, our, our psalm is going to be Psalm number 150. I invite you to turn with me in your own Bibles to Psalm number 150 or follow along on the back of, on the, back of or, the order of worship or to read in your few Bibles in front of you. We'll be, we'll be reading this morning from Psalm number 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with clanging cymbals. Praise Him with loud and crashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, in our lives, in life in general, for most of us, I, I dare say for all of us, there are certain questions that we struggle with. Certain questions that really kind of cut to the quick of life. Certain questions that we think through, that we ponder, that, that, we, that we, we grope in the darkness for to find an answer. Certain things which just don't make sense to us, and we really need God's discernment to figure these things out. Very important questions like, why do so many people put ketchup on your scrambled eggs? I mean, seriously, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? Because it's good. No, no, it's gross. What's wrong with you? No. Another question. And I side, I side with the great theologian Louis Grizzard on this one. That Jiffy is not cornbread. Cornbread's not sweet. That's cake. I like Jiffy. I'm not going to turn it down. I will eat it all day long, but cornbread is not sweet. Cornbread is cornbread. Cake is sweet. These are the things we think through in life. These are the questions that we struggle with that keep us up late at night. You know, at least maybe, maybe it's just me, but these are the... Th Some of you people put ketchup on your fried chicken, not on chicken strips. I'm talking about on chicken itself. I, no. I heard a rumor, some of y'all put ketchup on your macaroni and cheese. Seriously, y'all, we've got to have a come to Jesus talk if you're doing that. That's just, that's, that just ain't right. You eat what you like, I eat what I like. That's right, exactly right. I, I guess that's right. You know, I, I like to dip my kit cats in the nacho cheese. What can I say? Uh, so there are other questions that we struggle with that are not food-related. And those, that are not, those are usually not quite as much fun. Um, but I think one of the main questions we struggle with sometimes in life is this. What am I here for? <coughs> what is my purpose? Why do I exist? That question gets asked in different ways throughout our life. When you're a kid, what are you going to do when you grow up? Then, what are you going to major in? What, what are you going to study in school? Where are you going to go to college at? It's asked in that way. And then it's asked, well, you know, where am I going to get a job at? I need to get a job. Well, then it's asked, uh, where are we going to live at? Where are our kids going to go to school at? Where are our kids going to go to college at? What are they going to do for a living? What am I going to do when I retire? We all ask that question, don't we? We ask it in different ways, and we ask it in different voices. But deep within our hearts, we all wonder, why am I here? What, what's the point? What's the purpose? Why am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed 
to do. I've mentioned to you before that I was, without a doubt, the worst youth minister in Christian history. When I was the youth minister at Raymond United, Raymond United Methodist Church out of college, I was, I was just bad, y'all. Like, I love the kids, but I just was not good at my job. I was bad. I was working full-time, and, and I was youth pastor there at the church, and I just wasn't any good. And I'm not being falsely humble. I was bad. To the point I was like, Lord, did I hear you correctly? Am I really supposed to do this? Like, did you really call me to preach? Because I don't know that you did, because this is not working. I mean, maybe that pea in the sky was to plow, not to preach. I mean, I don't know, Lord. You know, I'm not sure this is my calling. And I was about ready to give up. I mean, I, I just wasn't good. So I, I had a friend of mine that invited me to come down to McGee to do a disciple now down there. I'm like, sure, why not? So I went and did it, and for whatever reason, things worked. And the kids heard what I said. And it was a great weekend. And when I was in that space preaching and ministering to those youth, I, 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 I knew at that moment that I was doing what God had called me to do. And I knew at that moment that I was being obedient to God's call of my life. I knew then and there that I was following God's will for my life. I felt in that moment, it's like that great scene from Chariots of Fire, if you remember the old, the old movie, where, uh, where he said, uh, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. In that moment, I felt God's pleasure. And I knew I was being obedient. We all have that moment. Maybe it's not the totality of your life. Maybe it's simply a passing moment in that occasion in your life. Maybe it's just a one glance. But all of us at some point in our life have felt that glory from God. Have felt that, yes, Lord, I get it. I get it, God. I get what I'm supposed to be doing. I understand your plan and your purpose. Maybe not for the totality of my life. Maybe just in this moment. But I feel it. I know what you're calling me to do. And I'm going to be obedient. And I'm going to live in your grace in this moment completely. And so that is a glorious moment. That is a joyful moment when we feel that. That is when we know what we are created for. So how do we phrase this in life of the church? You, you, you're familiar in our, in our church how we have different creeds. You know, we have every Sunday, many of you may have been like me, you were raised in the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. In our church, we go through the variety of creeds in the back of the hymnal because we want you to kind of get the totality of what we Christians believe. But our Presbyterian friends, they have a beautiful, a beautiful statement of faith, some of you may be familiar with, called the Westminster Confession of Faith. I, I love it. It's just a beautiful, a beautiful statement of faith. And I like it because it's written kind of in a question and answer format. It's really kind of cool. And it starts off in this way. It says this, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to know God and to enjoy him forever. That's, that's the chief end of humanity. That is the chief end of our existence. That is the chief end of our life. That is, that is, that is the totality of our purpose, is to know God and to enjoy him forever. And if you excuse me one moment, I'm going to turn this mic off and use the handheld.
that, pop, that popping mic was going to undo my sanctification and make me think things <laughs> preachers shouldn't think. That's better. So, where was I? The chief end of man. To know God and to enjoy him forever. That, that's the point and the purpose of humanity. That is what we exist for. That is what we were created for, is to know God completely and fully. To fully know God. To understand that you were made in his image and to have a right relationship with him. And everything else in life, everything else pales in comparison. Even the good things in life become in many ways dim reflections of God's goodness. Because scripture says that all good gifts come from God the Father. So if it's in your life and it's good, it's God's gift to you. But our life is best lived out. Our life is best understood. Our life is in its right purpose. When we are spending our life, spending our energy, spending our efforts, spending all these things, knowing God and enjoying him, that truly is the point. And so we spend so much life, in many ways, asking the wrong questions. We worry about what we're supposed to do. Because think about those questions we ask. They're all activities. Where are you going to go to school at? What are you going to do? What are you going to major in? That's not the question. The question is, who do you know? We, Gina shared with you during the children's moment, we've entered the season of Advent, this season of preparation. You know, the church... In, in the church year has several t- days that are kind of kind of really exalted. Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, days like this. Well, each of these days has a time of preparation. So before Easter, to truly understand the beauty of Easter, you need to walk through the cross of Lent to understand the miracle of the resurrection. To truly have your heart awakened to Christmas and the miracle of Christmas, you need to walk through those four Sundays of waiting, of Advent. Why four? It isn't just because it works well with our calendar. The last Old Testament prophet was Malachi. And then after Malachi, four centuries of nothing. No more prophets. No more words from the Lord. Nothing. The people of God, after the last of the Old Testament prophets, spent four centuries waiting. Waiting for God's voice. Waiting. They spent longer waiting than our country has been in existence, nearly by double. They waited. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm not good at waiting. And I'm not just talking, see, I'm not talking about the typical, oh, I don't like to wait in line. Well, duh, nobody does. I need a laser. I don't do well in line. I don't do, but I'm talking about something deeper. I'm not good at waiting on God. I want from God what I want from God now. I want answers now. I want problems fixed now. I get tired of waiting on God, and I feel like sometimes in our lives we do nothing but wait. In our church, in our world, and I get so tired of waiting, God, fix it now. Change it now. I'm tired of waiting on February. I'm tired of waiting on everything. I'm tired of waiting. It kills my soul. And I get tired of it. 
But when I get mad, and when I get frustrated at waiting, I'm missing the lesson which God wants to teach me, which is this. That I'm not in control. And that I'm not God. And that there's something and someone bigger than me at work in all of life. And waiting is sacred. And waiting is holy. And waiting is not killing time until God speaks. But in many ways, waiting is a divine appointment with a holy God. Advent reminds us that instead of being frustrated by the waiting in life, we have this opportunity to humble ourselves and to find the God who has actually been waiting on us the entire time. That is not so much that we are waiting on God, but it's actually that God is waiting on us. And God is urging us to slow ourselves down to realize he's been present with us the entire time. Advent reminds us of that. In this season of Advent, in this, these four weeks, we're going to be doing a, a series called Advent Conspiracy. It's a movement that many churches have been part of for a long time. You might have been familiar. You might be familiar with it. You may not be. But it, it's, a, it's, a powerful, it's a powerful series because it basically frames the question this way. Like, it started off with some churches saying this. You know what the leading cause of death? This is 2011 dollars. So the, the, the leading cause of death in the world in 2011 was unclean drinking water. Like, that's what most people, that was the leading cause of death was unclean drinking water. And you know what it would call in 2011 to fix unclean drinking water for the entire world forever? I think the number was like $40 billion. You're like, well, that'll never happen. $40 billion, that'll never happen. In that year, in America, we spent $50 billion on Christmas. Last year, across the world, over $1 trillion was spent on Christmas. Trillion with a T. This series invites us to consider several things. To worship fully to spend less, to give more, and to love all. Today we're looking at the worship fully component. Jesus is the reason for the season. We say that, don't we? That's that's kind of our fight song during the season. That's our slogan. But is he really? Why do you do what you do during Christmas? Do we get our houses ready for Jesus, or do we get our houses ready because we don't want our in-laws to think we keep a messy house? Are we thinking about Jesus whenever we're shopping? Or are we thinking about how can we make folks happy or atone for our sins of the past year? Like, is Jesus really our motivation? That's why we're so exhausted, I think, because in this season, this time we say Jesus is the reason for the season, worry and stress and pleasing others and, and, and pleasing ourselves becomes the altar at which we worship instead of Jesus. 
This season really is about Jesus. It really is about him. But what we do is we put the emphasis upon so many things other than Jesus. So we just can't wait for Christmas to be over. When that's not the point. The point is for us to remember that for us a child was given and for us, to us, a Savior was born who would be Christ the Lord. And he came to save the people from their sins. That truly is what it's about. Not the stuff, not the busyness, not the worry, not the stress, not the exhaustion, not the anger, not the meals, not the parties. By the way, all those things, well, the the stress is bad. But the meals are good. Like, I'm going to eat some of those little hot cocktail weenies. They're going to come out of my ears. I can't wait. You invite me to your house with cocktail weenies. I'm going to eat them because they're delicious. So I'm not saying these things are bad. What I'm saying is these things aren't Jesus. And if Jesus is the reason for the season... Let's really make him the reason for the season. Let's really make him the reason we do these things. Let's really, this year, learn to filter all of this through the lens of Jesus. Because that's what you were made for. I mean, that, that's your purpose, is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. And when we look at the Christmas story, what do we see over and over and over again? We see the angels coming to worship Jesus. We see the shepherds coming to worship Jesus. We see the wise men coming to worship Jesus. Everyone in Scripture orients everything around Jesus. So as those of us that take the name of Jesus Christ upon us, let's do the same. I'm not telling you to not have a big old time, but I'm telling you, let's orient around Jesus. And then what will happen is this, we'll have the most amazing Christmas we've ever had in our entire life. It'll be the best one you've ever had because you'll be doing it for the right reasons. You'll be doing it for Jesus. You were created. You were made in his image. Jesus Christ would have died for you if you were the only person that ever existed. You are the apple of his eye. He desires to know you more than anything all of creation. You. You and you alone. You are his. We were made to worship. We were made to know God. We were made to walk with God. We were made to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Y'all, and nothing else will satisfy. Nothing but Jesus. In this Christmas season, in this season of Advent, in this season of waiting, may he be the reason for our all in all. And when he becomes our purpose and becomes our point, then we find the life that we were truly created to live. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus the Christ. We thank you for his love, for his mercy, and for his grace. God, help us to live in your love each day. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name.
Amen.